All right, well, let's take our Bibles and we'll go uh, start off in the book of Psalms. Psalm 25. <clears throat> We're looking at the series Planning Your Life God's Way, and we've been working through the book. Uh, we are on to chapter 13, which is dealing with the past. Sometimes we can feel trapped. In fact, I think I put the wrong, that's the wrong title. Remedy for Past Failure is next week. I got the wrong one on there. Chapter 13 should be trapped by the past. Uh, the, the, the past sometimes haunts us. And sometimes it is something that we allow uh, to dictate the steps we take in the future. And as we are looking at uh, this, this topic of planning our life God's way, sometimes we can't even get to first base in this whole process because of the insecurity we feel about our past or the guilt that we feel or just the helplessness that we feel because of situations and circumstances that are outside of our control, things we can't do anything about and we feel trapped. Well, uh, the, the, the Word of God gives hope and gives light God wants to direct all of our steps in, in, his, in his will, in His way. And it's not just those who have squeaky clean backgrounds and, and so forth. By the way, there is nobody with a squeaky clean background. There's nobody with a picture-perfect past. That's an illusion. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we see this God's way. So we're looking at being trapped by the past. Um, and we'll look at Psalm 25. Uh, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Well, uh, God does forgive, and God does, He does restore, and He does give us a, a, a fresh perspective moving forward. I want to start with this quote, your past does not define you, it prepares you. And many of us don't want to see it that way. We don't want to see it as preparation uh, th that almost seems unfair. How could God have purposely put me through this? To say that my past is part of my preparation sounds like God did this on purpose. Well, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is loving. And God does know what we need to go through to prepare us for what He has in our future. And we have to just rest in the fact that He's a loving God and the things that we've gone through have not taken Him by surprise and He will use them in the future. How many of you know the name Mary Slessor? Anybody know the name Mary Slessor? Missionary, uh, missionary to Calabar, West Africa. She was born to Scottish parents. Her father was an abusive drunk. And her destiny, because of her father's decisions, was poverty. Poverty and abuse, uh, this was no fault of her own. Her father could not provide for the family, so she had to go to work at an early, early age at a textile mill. She could not go to school. She wanted to learn, so she taught herself. After she was done working, when other kids were playing, she went and taught herself how to read and so forth. Do you wonder if Mary Slessor ever felt trapped by her circumstances? As she went on through life, as life progressed and she became an adult, uh, she did not have the same leg up, as, as it were, that some had. She had so many disadvantages. Uh, you know, it'd be so easy for her to say, it's because of my past. I can't do 
what maybe I'm supposed to do, or I'll never be able to, 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 to do God's perfect will because look at where I'm coming from. I have a friend whose father left him, I'm sorry, a friend whose father left him and the kids and the wife uh, when I think she had five kids or something like that. My friend was one of them and they were all young. So mom had to go work a, a, a lot of hours and she was gone all the time. And so the kids raised themselves basically and they were on the street a lot and they got into all sorts of trouble. But he got saved, his, his, uh, his sister got saved, I think others got saved, and God has used everything that he went through. Now he's pastoring a church and raising his five kids for the Lord, and God has used all of those uh, circumstances in his life. But you could easily look at that situation and say, oh, this is not my fault. You know, I had to raise myself. My dad was gone. My mom was at work. I got into drugs. I got into all this stuff. You know, this is just the way it is. And it's just so easy to, to give yourself a pass. Other people have to plan their life God's way, but I just have to make the best of it. I just got to figure this thing out. God left me a long time ago. I've heard people say that. God left me a long time ago, and if he cared, he'd still be here. He obviously doesn't care, so I'm on my own. You know, I'm glad my friend didn't see it that way, and he allowed God to still steer him into a wonderful uh, marriage and, and ministry, and God's using him. Have you, thought, have you ever considered Solomon and Rehoboam? Have you ever considered what Solomon gave Rehoboam? Well, you say, oh, he set him up. I mean, he, had, he, he came into wealth. He came into fame and fortune. I mean, he was set up. That guy had it all. That's not what I'm referring to. Solomon gave him something else. In 1 Kings eleven twelve, when Solomon got involved in sin and idolatry, the Bible says, Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. The curse comes down upon Solomon for his sin. And he says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. But God says, but because David was your father and David was the one who was, had the heart that was after God's own heart, Solomon says, out of mercy to David, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you. I'm going to take it from Rehoboam. Have you ever thought about that? If you were Rehoboam? <laughs> I mean, what a bum deal. Out of the gate. Out of the gate, it's over. Why even try this isn't my fault. My dad, my dad is the one who had it all, was the wisest and the richest and everything else, and he threw it all away. And then God, in his mercy to dad, condemns me. Can you put yourself in Rehoboam's shoes and think about what kind of a day you would have when you start figuring all of this out? And you're going to say, that is not fair. In fact, maybe you're sitting here right now saying, that's not fair. I mean, that's wrong. Now the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. And we also know something else about God. There was several times in the scripture where God says, I'm going to do a certain thing. Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. Or Hezekiah, you're going to die. Several times, but repentance, repentance, Changed the whole thing. 
And I do believe that there was hope for Rehoboam. And there was much, much, much good that God wanted to do that was not done in Rehoboam's life because of his own failure to humble himself and repent. But nonetheless, I think many of us, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about repentance. We just want to think about the fact that God allowed my dad to do this and this and this and this, and then I got stuck. I got stuck holding the bag of garbage from my father. Rehoboam was trapped in a negative situation beyond his control, not of his own doing, from day one. And we're going to look at him. We're going to come back to Rehoboam uh, throughout this, this lesson. So what do you do when you feel trapped by your past? All right. And again, I apologize. I had the wrong uh, title up there. I was working on this one and a little bit of next week and got them flipped. <laughs> Hopefully the whole thing's not like that. We might have two sermons in one. Two for the price of one tonight, folks. You, you came on the right night. <laughs> All right, we'll see what happens. Biblical principles for when you feel trapped by your past. So far, it's working. All right. Number one, God is at work in all of our circumstances. This is what you need to recognize when you feel trapped by your past. Circumstances outside of your control. You, you are relating to Rehoboam saying, this was not my fault. This was not my choice. I, I just totally inherited a disaster. God is at work in all of our circumstances. And God loves you and cares for you. We have to trust Him. So let's go back to Rehoboam. What's the first thing Rehoboam does when the kingdom splits? And again, it's not like Rehoboam was completely squeaky clean in this whole thing. He had good counsel from his father's counselors that he disregarded, but nonetheless... You could say, ah, oh, the deck was still stacked against him because God said it was gonna, uh, he was going to lose the kingdom. So how does he respond when he loses? The, the, the kingdom is divided. And again, if you don't know the story, there was one kingdom. There was da First there was King Saul, then there was David, then there was Solomon, then there was Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam, the kingdom was split into the kingdom of Israel on the north, kingdom of Judah on the south. And Rehoboam has, has uh, a problem on his hands. What does he do? He gathers 180,000 soldiers and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, take it back. I mean, what would you do if you were the king and the, your first day on the job, your kingdom splits? Well, I'm not taking that. No way. Get the troops. Get the chariots. We're going to go back. We're taking this thing. And then a, a word comes from the Lord. And what is the word, what is the word that he received? Don't fight your brethren. This thing is of God. Let them go. Now, that's a tough one. Now, Father Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Rehoboam wasn't. But he still was just smart enough that in this moment he says, you know what, I think he means it. I think if I go after this, this army, I'm going to lose big. And he accepts his circumstances. Did you know that there are things that we can learn from Rehoboam that are not all bad? Usually, whenever we talk about Rehoboam, it's always bad. But we're going to highlight the parentheses in his life. He had about three years in his life where he actually made some good decisions. 
and then he absolutely messed it all up from there. But we're going to talk about this little parentheses where he made some good decisions, and there are some things that we can learn. Ultimately, he accepted his current situation as from the Lord. Second Chronicles 11, uh, 2 through 4, is where he, he sees that, that, that God says, this thing is from me. This is from me. So in other words, if he fights this fight, he's fighting against God Almighty. There are times when we want to do God's will and we want to plan our life God's way, but when you boil the fat out of it, we really want to do it our way. And we're working so hard and we're getting nowhere and it's because we are actually fighting against God. If you have ever felt like God was stiff-arming you in the direction that you wanted to go, keeping you from the direction you wanted to go, chances are he was. Just maybe. Okay, not every time. But certainly, I know I've done that. I know I have had my heart set on going a certain direction, and I just can't move. And it's God in his mercy not allowing me to do what I'm wanting to do, protecting me from myself. Folks, we need to sometimes accept negative circumstances accept them as from the lord by bowing our knee in submission to him as the one who's in control of our lives we believe that he is the creator that means he put us here he created us we believe that he's the savior that means he redeemed us he bought us back and so should he not be the orchestrator of what we do and, and the director of where we go I had the opportunity to be in a, a couple of orchestras growing up, and most recently I was in the Celine band, the community band, before COVID uh, shut everything down. It's kind of hard to be in a wind band in a COVID environment. There's, yeah, there's a lot of wind and, yeah, mouthpieces that go on your mouth, you know, uh, so that all got shut down. But anyway, uh, when I've, every, time, every time I've been in an orchestra or a band, there's always been a conductor. There's always been a director. And if you try to do your own thing, that just does not go over ever. But when the conductor is in control and everyone is, is working together, it's beautiful. I remember we had this one, uh, this one concert in the mall. It was the Christmas concert. We had never practiced in this mall. It was in one of those huge atriums. The ceiling was so high up and multi-levels of, of a mall. And people would be on the ground floor around us and then all the way up in the upper decks, you know, they'd be milling around and listening to us. And we had never practiced in a place where the sound would just dissipate. And if, if, you don't, if you're not used to that, it's just weird. We weren't loud enough. We couldn't ever play loud enough. We couldn't hear each other. We were spread out. And so everybody got scared. And then the violins. Oh, you got to look out for those violin players. They started faking it. Now, trumpet players cannot fake it. You're either all in or you're not. But the violinists were moving their bows and their fingers, and they were not doing anything. None of them wanted to be the one that was messing up. And I remember looking at my conductor's eyes where he's, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger as he's looking around and he's doing his thing and no one's playing. There's no noise. And I'm counting my measures because the big trumpet entrance is coming and he finally is like, he looks, he points, 
He cues the trumpets, and we saved the day, you know? And everybody came in, and we finished the thing. Boy, afterwards, whoo, in practice, he, he got after those violins. But not the trumpets, all right. When we follow the director, it's a good thing. When you do your own thing, it never works. How is it that we acknowledge God as the creator, savior, orchestrator, and then we want to go do our own cadenza? And if you don't know what that is, you're going to improvise your own thing. That's not going to work. Rehoboam did something good. Believe it or not, Rehoboam did something good here. He accepted the negative circumstances as from the Lord, and so must we. You say, Pastor, that just sounds so easy. I'm not saying it's easy. You don't know my past. Maybe I don't know your past, but I know that God knows. And God can help you to see your past in a totally different light as it relates to his preparation for your future. We always, at a time like this, go to uh, Joseph when he was sold into slavery because it just fits. How can you not talk about Joseph? But he's sold into slavery. He's a victim of his brother's insecurity and jealousy. This is not his fault. But he says later, after all of this is over, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What does it mean, God meant it for good? You mean God had something to do with this? You mean God was involved in this? Yes. This is how big God is. God meant it for good, he says, to save much people alive. Who knows? But what your catastrophe is part of God's salvation of another. And the question we have to ask ourselves is is this. Am I willing to, to go through something tragic, catastrophic, life-changing, to be a part of God's greater plan, to be part of salvation to other ones, potentially. Quote from the book, Dr. Berry says, we must embrace the God who is orchestrating even your ugly circumstances into a symphony of harmony and praise. I'll tell you, when I was in that symphony, there were times where all the hair stood up on my neck and chills as the music sounded so good. I had the best seat in the house. I was in the orchestra, and uh, there'd be these, these motifs. First, the flutes would have it, then the violins, and then the trumpets would get it, and it'd pass around, and it was just neat to be inside it and see the whole thing come together and the harmony and, and so forth. Hey, it's great to recognize God's hand when you start saying, hey, wait, wait, I've seen that before. Oh, I've seen God do that over here. Here it comes again. I see what God's doing. God's working this together for good. And and you can have a totally different understanding as you trust God. Back to Mary Slessor. She had a drunken father, remember that? And uh, very poor and no schooling and all of this. Well, God ended up putting her on the mission field in Nigeria and she ended up ministering to a, a group of people that were notoriously alcoholic. All of the men that she ministered to were drunks, abusive, uh, everything that she had grown up with, and she was used to it, and she was able to stand there with boldness and, and confront, and, uh, you know, it's not something she ever wanted to go through, but when she got to Nigeria, that wasn't her first rodeo. She'd already been through this whole thing before, and God was able to use her. Hey, I don't think she ever would have signed up to have a drunken father. 
But when she got to Nigeria, she says, well, I see how God used this in my past to prepare me for this ministry. And God greatly used her there. Every, everything in our life, God is in control of. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In other words, that basically sum that up to say this, there's no chance. Nothing is by chance. God is in control. Uh, we don't believe in, in luck, all right? Uh, we believe that God is, is, is at work. Um, <laughs> some people say, oh, that guy is just so lucky. I prefer to say that guy is just so blessed, okay? Because that then gives acknowledgement to the blesser, uh, and that's our Lord. I wanted to read something here. Let me see where it was um, from the book. All right, so humanly, it may be an accident, but from heaven's perspective, a larger purpose is at work in the tragic and unforeseen mishaps of life. Uh, in other words, uh, in, in the Bible, in Exodus 21, uh, when someone was inadvertently killed by a wayward stone or a flying axe head or some other unforeseen calamity, Scripture refers to it as God delivering that person into the hand of the other. And that's Exodus 21, 13. Uh, uh, we, we think, wait, 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 God delivering them? It was an accident. The guy was swinging an axe and the axe head fell off, like flew off and killed his, killed his friend. That's an accident. But not in the word of God, it says he was delivered. In other words, God, God is still in control of everything, even accidents. And so folks, sometimes we still just have to come to that place where we say, I don't understand this, I don't get it, but God's bigger than me, he's smarter than me, and I will trust him by faith. I don't understand why this freak accident happened. Folks, I have heard, you have too, I'm sure, I've heard of such, such freak accidents that you say, how in the world? How in the world did that, that had to have caught God by surprise? No, there is nothing that catches God by surprise. And we have to trust him. It will take, uh, it will take faith. So number one, the first principle was that God is at work in all of our circumstances and therefore we need to submit to him. But number two, God gives us ample opportunity to do good in our present circumstances. God gives us ample opportunity to do good in our present circumstances. <clears throat> so Rehoboam, his next response after pulling back from his initial desire to kill Jeroboam for taking half of his kingdom, his first response when he learned, I can't do that, God says, don't go there. Well, you, know what, you know what his response is? Second Chronicles 11 talks about it. He went out and built 15 cities. Now, how many people would do that? He is young, and everyone's comparing him to his father and his grandfather. By the way, how many of you would have liked to fill the shoes of Solomon and David? Anybody want to sign up for that one? <laughs> no, thank you. He's already feeling like a fool. He went with his buddies instead of the, the guys who served with his father. And, and, and right off the bat, he loses half the kingdom, and, and he's at the smaller end of it. The bigger part is gone. And now, when he's going to go redeem himself and show, I'm a man like my dad and my grandpa, the, the prophet says, nope, can't go. Oh, now I can't even redeem myself. What am I going to do? You know, a lot of us right there, that's where we would go grab our blankie and our nook 
and go find a corner and just pout and say, oh, it's over. God hates me and I can't do anything with my life. And we would just then say, I'm a victim of all these circumstances that are against me and, and there's nothing I can do about it. You know what he says? Well, I'm still alive. I still have a kingdom. I'm still king. I'm going to go build 15 cities. You know what? I'm not a Rehoboam fan. I'm not. Because you'll see Rehoboam did not do very good. I told you we're looking at a little itty-bitty parentheses where he stumbled into some good things. Well, I, mean, I shouldn't say stumbled into. He made some good decisions. The rest of his life, not so good. But this is admirable right here. I have a life I can just sulk it away and cry it away over the opportunities that I missed and the failures of my past. Or I can take what I've got around me and go build 15 cities. And here's what I want you to understand. One of them was called Bethlehem. We don't really know about the other ones too much, but one of them was called Bethlehem. And who came there? But, well, that was the Lord Jesus. He was born and the Messiah came and, and God used it. You know, th this is a blessing on Rehoboam that still is paying off today. And all of us still are, in a, in a sense, blessed today by this decision that he made. I'm not going to sit around. I'm going to go build 15 cities. And you know, when you make one good decision, you know what often happens? Good stuff just kind of seems to follow. And that's what happens with him. Uh, well, I'll get to that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we'll get to some of those blessings in a moment. Uh, but he didn't fret. He, 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 set, he set out to improve what he had, not, oh, I lost what I had. How many of us have done that? You lost your job and you recognize that there were things you could have done better. Or maybe you say, no, there was nothing I could have done better. That was all out of my control. And you spend the rest of your life saying what if and what if when God has given you a life. He's given you a different job. He's given you a different path. And you can dive into it and make something of it or you can live your life looking in the rearview mirror. He went out and built 15 cities. God gives us ample opportunity to do good in our present circumstances. How many of you have heard of uh, Joni Erickson Tata? Several of you, okay. Uh, she is known for uh, her books and her drawings and her speaking and her radio show or podcast and all of that. Uh, she, he, she jumped in a pool at age 16 or 17, I want to say, and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. And uh, uh, at that point, her life changed drastically. But what did she do? She said, well, I'm still alive. I like art. Somebody put a, a pencil in my mouth. And so they did. And I'm telling that the John Barber story, okay. You need to go read the book to get the real thing. Uh, and you should, by the way, if you haven't read it, find it and get it. Uh, but she started drawing with a pencil in her mouth. I don't know how you do that, kids. You guys should try that. Not in church. Uh, <laughs> sometime, try to draw a picture. And she draws beautifully. How many of you have seen her paintings? Have, have folks seen her paintings? Uh, they're gorgeous paintings. And uh, within five years, I want to say, she was catching attention of the media and then she had opportunity to speak and to give her testimony. And she has, uh, she's done so much all around the world, uh, not just for handicapped, but also just to help people know how to be saved. Uh, she's been helping people physically and spiritually. But when you look at the 
hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that she has impacted in her life, you say, how many would she have impacted if she had not taken that dive? I don't know. Now, I don't know that anybody would sign up for that. Somebody says, what do you want to do with your life? You know what I want to do with my life? I want to impact millions of people worldwide. I want to have the John Barber Foundation. And I want to be able to, uh, you know, do things in Africa and China and all over. And we want to get the gospel out. And we're going to just reach the world. I want to have a radio show. I want to write books. Okay. Perfect. We can do that for you. Jump into this pool. <laughs> now, if you know that you're going to break your neck, how many of you are going to do that? Well, we, we just, we're, most of us are not going to sign up for that. Sorry. Lord, I'll, I'll see hundreds of thousands saved some other way. But you know, she recognized that God was still in control and she yielded her life back to God and God gave her her life back thousands of times fold. I wonder, I wonder if she prayed, Lord, give me my limbs back. Give me the use of my limbs back. I'm sure she did. Lord, I have so much I want to do. God says, trust me, I'm going to give you everything back, but not quite the way you had imagined it. You know, I believe that this world is full of Joni Erickson Tadas that never blossomed, but rather wilted, dried up, and just blew away. Because it is natural to get angry at God for what he takes from you, for what he puts you through. And it's natural to just say, God, you, you could have changed this. You could have stopped this. There were so many things, so many times you could have gotten my way and kept me from this tragedy. And you didn't do it. Now that should really be our first clue that maybe there's a reason. If there was that many <laughs> times that God could have and didn't, there's something going on here that we need to see. But I tell you, I, I, I do believe there are m probably millions of people who God wants to use in just as great a fashion as that lady that he can't use because they have said, what if, or why, or I'm angry, I'm bitter, this is not fair. We all know the name Patch the Pirate. I'm sure most of you, at least most of you in here, know the name Patch the Pirate. He is the guy who has put out so many kids' uh, gospel songs and, and uh, dramatic recordings, and he does these funny stories for kids. And uh, he, he was not planning on ever being Patch the Pirate, touring around, singing, and everything he does with kids uh, until he got cancer in his eye. And they went in to do a routine uh, surgery, and, and when he woke up, he had no eye. And they gave him a patch. And he went and uh, came to his home church, and all the kids started saying, patch the pirate, patch the pirate. I wonder how many of the mothers scolded the kids for that. I, I know I'd be like, well, don't do that. Don't co come on, be nice to this poor guy. But he, he went with it. He said, you know what? We'll go with that. Patch the pirate. God had given him a gift for music, and he went out and made his, his first uh, CD of all of his songs, and that was the beginning of, I don't know how many CDs they've done, and, and he has impacted people around this world by the thousands. What would have happened if he hadn't lost his eye? 
We don't know. What would have happened if he had lost his eye, but he got bitter and he shook, shook his, his hand, his fist in the face of God and said, how could you do this to me, God? God gives us ample opportunity to do good in our present circumstances. Whatever those present circumstances are, you have something God can do through you. If you're still alive, it's because God's not done with you. And he wants you to be used and to surrender to him. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and God would not remove it, though he prayed. 2 Corinthians 12 tells about it. He says, "...lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations." There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you know what the difference is between most people who go through trials and say, in this case, the Apostle Paul who went through this trial? It's verse 9. He recognized that God's grace was there. His strength was made perfect in weakness, and he started glorying in the infirmities. Praise the Lord for what I've gone through. Thank you, Lord, for this thorn in the flesh because I see what you're going to do. Your power is resting on me. You have opened doors for me that would not have been there otherwise. I had the chance to preach at Faith Baptist Church in Taylor, South Carolina. Uh, pastor Vaughn uh, was the, the pastor before, and now there's another pastor, but uh, his wife and daughter were in a terrible fire. I'm sure many of you probably heard about that, read about that. And uh, I was there for a week of, of youth meetings, and I got to see the school that they were able to set up for people who were burned victims like his wife and daughter. Beautiful facility, gorgeous, top of the line, great ministry, people coming from all over to be helped. And again, I'm sure, Pastor Vaughn, that wasn't on his to-do list out of Bible college. I want to go be a pastor, and I want, you know, go through a terrible tragedy and reach burn victims. But th thank the Lord he was able to see God has a plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to yield and recognize that if I will glory in these infirmities, the power of Christ can rest upon me. Otherwise, all is lost. You know what the greatest tragedy is? The greatest tragedy is not jumping off a diving board into a, a pool and breaking your neck. That's not the greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy is going through that and getting bitter at God and wasting that trial that God was going to use for incredible glory to see hundreds of thousands of people brought to Him. The worst tragedy was not when Ron Hamilton lost his eye. It, was to lose, it, would, it would be to lose an eye and get bitter at God and miss out on what God wants to do. Recognize God's at work in all of our circumstances. And secondly, get busy. God gives us ample opportunity to do good in our present circumstance. So get busy serving God, trusting His grace. Number three, God rewards any believer who will truly seek Him. <clears throat> God rewards any believer who will truly seek Him. Does that mean believers who are at a disadvantage out of the gate like Rehoboam? Yes. 
But you don't understand, Pastor Barber, I was born into a family that had so much problems and my father and my mother and my grandpa and all of the sins of all of the people just put me on a terrible path and I was trapped. Could I have, can, I, can I get out of this? God rewards any believer who will truly seek Him. You look at Rehoboam. And what did he do? I told you good things happen when you, when you take a step of faith and do something right. So he goes out and builds 15 cities when he could have been having a pity party. He goes and builds 15 cities. And that showed the rest of the world that here's a guy who isn't going to go hide in a cave. He's still going to do something. And the priests and the Levites, guess what they do? The priests and the Levites were with Jeroboam originally. They're in Israel, and they leave Jeroboam, and they all go to be with Rehoboam to stay in the temple and to, to continue worshiping God. And boy, that really helped Rehoboam's kingdom. Can you imagine that? This influx of all of these priests and Levites coming, that helped give him some strength and some stability and some spiritual security. But not only that, so Rehoboam was blessed. When he sought the Lord, he was blessed. The priests and Levites came. There was strength. His family grew, the Bible records. His children was, were, were placed in positions of authority, and their families were established. And God did bless him. Now, unfortunately, he did not stay on that path. But while he was seeking God, there was great blessing. Now, somebody's going to ask, what about the generational curse? Exodus 20, verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Think about that. That's not just some exaggeration. We see this today. We see generational sins being handed off and handed down to the, to the next generation, the next generation, and, and it is, it's tragic. But does this mean that you're just a victim, so you say, oh, wait a minute, I'm only the second generation. That means there's no hope for me, no hope for my kids, and no hope for my great-grandkids or grandkids. No, no. No, the generational curse can be broken and it's broken through repentance, and it's illustrated in the Bible. We'll just think of one illustration of it, and that would be Abraham. Abraham's father, his name was Terah, and he is defined as an idolater. And the Exodus 20 says, don't bow yourself down to them and don't serve them. Well, Terah did. I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So wait a minute. What happened here? I thought that Abraham should have been cursed because his father bowed down to them just like this verse says. Well, it says unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But what if the third and fourth generation repent? You can see the curse broken. Abraham broke that curse he turned fully to God. And he did not allow Terah's idolatry to be his destiny. Repentance is the opportunity of every individual. You cannot say that because your father sinned, that therefore 
you, there's nothing you can do. It's out of my hands. No, you can repent of your sin and, and, and pray about that, that the generational sin and lay that thing before the Lord. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So again, if you'll seek Him, God rewards any believer who will truly seek Him, even Rehoboam, who out of the gate had the deck stacked against him. All right, number four, and we're done. Your own sinful heart, not your past, is what will most limit you. Your own sinful heart, not your past, is what will most limit you. We would love to blame it all on things that are outside of our control. Because you know what? Nobody's life goes perfect. And when life doesn't go the way we want it to go, it's just convenient to be able to say, oh yeah, you know, it's because of my dad. Oh yeah, it's because of uh, grandpa or mom or it's because of the, the neighborhood or it's because of whatever. This and this and this happened when I was a kid. Therefore, I, I'm, just, I'm just stuck. No. You know what happened with Rehoboam? The Bible says, unfortunately, it says about him in 2 Chronicles 12, 14, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Do you know what God records about Rehoboam? Again, he didn't start well. He didn't finish well. He had a little bit of, of a bubble in the middle of his life where he did do some things right, sought the Lord a little bit. But the, at the end here, it does not say, and he did evil because his dad messed up. His dad sinned, and that cursed his life forever. And so poor Rehoboam, that's just, that was his destiny. That's not what it says. Read it again. It says, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Folks, we believe in individual responsibility of every single person in every single generation, and you cannot live your life constantly blaming who, who has done whatever to you and what disadvantages you have. That's our culture. That's what culture does. Culture is all about victim. Who wants to be a victim? Ooh, 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 me, me, me. I want to be a victim. It's like it's cool to be a victim. Uh, not in the Bible. Not especially for a Christian. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, the Bible says. It is not cool to be a victim. It is, it is great to be an overcomer through Jesus' strength. Because we're more than conquerors, the Bible says. Your own sinful heart, not your past, is what will limit you the most. So don't make uh, Rehoboam's mistake. He fell into sin because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. If you will prepare your heart and seek the Lord, it doesn't matter who or where or what you've come through, God will meet you and draw you and he has a plan for you. Similarly, our biggest problem is not our circumstances, our parents, the economy, the president, your salary, your standard of living, your biggest problem is your heart. I think of King Saul's son, Jonathan. My name is Jonathan, and uh, I've always been interested in this Bible character because we share the same name. I have often scratched my head 
when I read about Jonathan because he, he had everything, in a sense, taken from him. And humanly, everything was his right. He was the rightful heir to that throne. David comes in from the sheep field because some old crazy prophet happened to anoint oil on his head, and now that means I have to give up my throne. I, I would have had a hard time with that. Okay, so he threw a stone, got lucky, or we don't believe in that, uh, hit the giant, and the giant came tumbling down. Okay, whatever. But I'm still the king's son, and this is my house. You know, Jonathan recognized God's hand at early, early on in the story. In fact, the Bible never records an ill will of Jonathan or a bad attitude. It, it's, not, it's not in the Bible. All it does record is an attitude of one who just takes what is from God and he's excited about it. And they even talk about the future. Remember that passage? I didn't put it in the notes, but he, he, said, he and David are talking and he says, one day you're going to rule and you're going to be the king and I'm going to be right beside you, buddy. That's the John Barber version. But that's what he said, basically. I'm going to be right next to you. We're going to do this together and it's going to be great. And again, I scratch my head and I go, is this guy for real? That's my king kingdom. That's my throne. You can maybe be my sidekick. Jonathan exemplifies a man who responded correctly to adverse circumstances that were outside of his control. Unless you think, oh yeah, Jonathan just must have been, he must have just been a pushover. David must have been this big shot manly man and Jonathan was just this wimp. Uh, excuse me, have you read what Jonathan did in battle? I mean, him and his armor bearer go up against a whole garrison of Philistines by themselves. This guy was a soldier. He was a fighter. He was tough. And he was respected by everybody because there was a time where King Saul was going to kill his own son. Do you remember that part? If you don't read the Old Testament, you got to read the Old Testament. There's great stories, great lessons. Uh, King Saul says, I'm going to kill my own son because his son had done something. I'm not going to go into the whole story. He disobeyed his dad. Or, or, well, he didn't actually, but uh, his dad thought he had. And, and he, I'm going to kill you right now. And all of the men said, no, you're not. They saved his life. This guy was respected. He was a man of war. He could stand on his own two feet. He probably could have stood up to David just fine. If he was anything like his father, King Saul was head and shoulders above everybody. So I don't picture Jonathan, this little dweeb. He was probably bigger than David. That's how I picture him. Just like his dad. But a humble heart who is willing to say, I accept from the hand of God what he has done. God's prophet did not anoint me. God's prophet anointed him. And I respect that. Have you ever been passed over? Oh, that is tough, especially when you have been praying about something and looking forward to something, and then you, you realize, this, this, I deserve this. This is mine. I'm next in line. This is for me. And somebody else gets it. That is hard. Jonathan was able to say, this is God. And so what am I going to do? Be bitter, live the rest of my life sour, hurting people. What, remember what I always say, hurting people hurt people. At this moment, he was either going to be on a, on a road of hurt or a road of health. And he says, you know what? 
if this is the Lord's anointed, I might as well help him out. And they become best friends. He had a heart that was like David's. Jonathan had a heart that was after God's own heart. So you have Jonathan who prepared his heart to seek the Lord. You have Rehoboam who did not. And you have two totally different lives. You know, when you think of, of that, we have to bring it to ourselves. How about you? Can you trust that the circumstances of your life, tragedies of your life, whatever, can you accept them as part of God's larger plan? You might say, I've been scarred by my past. Well, you can't let it trap you. Move forward and begin planning your life God's way. <clears throat> Easier said than done, I know. But by His grace, through His Spirit, if we will surrender ourselves to Him and recognize He is the Creator, He is the Savior, and He is the orchestrator of my life, we need to yield to Him. Embrace the circumstances and get busy. Again, number one, God is at work in all of, the, of our circumstances. Secondly, God gives us ample opportunity to do good right now in these present circumstances. Thirdly, He'll reward anyone who seeks Him. So remember, your own sinful heart, not your past, is what will most limit you. So prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Next week, we'll look at a little bit more of this as we'll look at uh, uh, more, more about failure, the remedy for past failure. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the help that we find in it. I pray that anyone here who would seem that they are trapped by their past and therefore they cannot uh, plan their life God's way, can't know your will. I pray that anyone who is here like that would, would reckon on the fact that you're in control, that you love them, and that they need to just simply surrender to you and let you direct them. Lord, may we not fight against you. May we not get bitter. I pray there wouldn't be any sour, embittered Christians that would rob you of the opportunity to do something great through our lives for your glory. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.